Hello, hi, and welcome to another episode of The Emma Gunn Show and a midweek instalment of Bullet Points. In this episode, we'll be looking at some incredible life hacks. Trust me, these are unmissable. Unmissable life hacks, okay, so that's what I promised you, but I would also be really disingenuous if I didn't tell you that I'm not really a huge fan of the word hack, especially when it comes to something as big and as important as, well, life. I think hack for me is more of like a practical thing, like how to sew on a button really easily without using a needle and thread. That's a hack. I mean, I don't even know if that's possible. I'm sure it's not unless it's with glue. But hack has become a word that's so frequently used that it's hard to resist its inclusion in one's own vocabulary. So here we are. Because what I'm going to share with you in this episode are 30 life hacks that I read online. And when I read them, I immediately saved them. So I saw them on an Instagram post. I found them via Tim Ferriss's Instagram. And I was so... And actually, full disclosure, I feel as though I'm being somewhat original, unoriginal by sharing them. But after I saved them, I realized that was a really rubbish way for me to absorb them because I'd saved them. But how was I then going to reread them all the time? Because you, if you save something on Instagram or anywhere really, like how often do you go and actually look back at it? How many times have you taken notes in a meeting and not gone back and looked at them? They felt very, very important at the time. But anyway, um, I also, as I said, feel a little bit unoriginal by sharing this, but it really did kind of have such a strong impact on me that I thought I really want to share them with you. So Tim shared them, but um, they actually came from somebody called Ben Mir, who you can follow on Instagram where he's at, where he's at Ben Mir, at B-E-N-M-E-E-R. And so what I've decided to do with them is to, I've uh, turned them into a voice note. And so in the morning, I I get ready, wake up, brew my coffee and I play the voice note because I think it's just a good reminder. And before I get into them, I do want to say that improving your life does not come at the end of a listicle, one of these features that's just a list of things that you can do. It's about repeated action over time. But of all the self-help content I see online and by Jiminy, there's a lot. This was one that I thought was actually quite useful and just made me stop and think. I didn't agree with all of them 100%, but I thought that the majority of them were so useful and I appreciated the tone. And again, that's why I wanted to share them with you because these bullet points episodes are for us to kind of have a little bit of a one-on-one, a little bit of a chat, and also um, meet each other where we are. And for me, I just thought, I needed to read these, which is why I really wanted to keep seeing them. And that's why I made the voice note. And I thought, well, I basically make very long voice notes for a living. So I thought I would share them with you. So the title of the original post is 30 Life Hacks I Know at 30 That I Wish I Knew at 20. Um, I'm a little bit older than that, but I don't think age matters. Some of them will hit home. Some of them will be irrelevant. Some of them will be relevant. And we're all learning on a different time scale and time frame. And that's okay. I'm 45 and many of them are ones I don't want to forget, hence making them into the voice note for my own personal use. Some of them I've heard many, many times before, but maybe it's now that they're beginning to like take root. Some of them I haven't heard before and they've really made me think. So here they are. Number one. The best productivity app on your phone is called Airplane Mode. Use it. And this is so scorchingly accurate. You can try all the productivity apps you want. You can make lists. You can organize your time. You can have a color-coded calendar. But if you aren't eliminating avoidable distractions, then you're on a hiding to nothing. And I think what Airplane Mode does is it eliminates avoidable distractions. So I put Airplane Mode on because because even though I don't want to, if my phone is within arm's reach, I will pick it up 
even if I'm in the middle of something. I was doing it the other day. I think I was actually recording or writing a podcast and I kept picking it up. I was like, why am I picking it up? I don't want to do anything. It's just an instinct now. But if it's on airplane mode, there's not going to be anything new to see. And so that distraction cannot derail me. So yes, use airplane mode. It's fantastic. Number two, make no your default, whether it's new work projects or social gatherings, saying yes to non-priorities ruins your priorities. Now, I struggled with this one at first because I'm somebody who has said no a lot in my life out of fear. And that really has genuinely been very life limiting. And I have a lot of regret about that. And I have a lot of uh, thoughts and feelings about that. But I have recently gone through a spell of saying yes. And I've overridden every single time I've wanted to say no. And it's actually been a really interesting learning curve because what it's led to is time wasted, a reduction in productivity and a general frustration at having given my time to things I knew better not to. And so the upside is obviously that I've realized my no, especially when it comes to work, isn't isn't an obstructive no, isn't a petulant no, isn't a can't be bothered no. It's a no that's been honed by years in this industry and it's actually good news sense, it's good instinct. So I'm not saying no for the sake of it, I'm saying no because no, I already know that that's not going to be a great opportunity, I would like to pass, thank you so much for thinking of me. And actually switching to yes recently has made me realise that actually honing a no from experience is really powerful. So make no your default. I kind of liked that one. Number three, normalize saying, I don't know anything about that as a successful answer. And I genuinely nearly cheered when I read this because when I was younger, I wanted to appear as though I knew it all. And so I never admitted when I was wrong. And I didn't ask questions when I didn't understand. And actually, again, that's really limiting. Whereas now I relish saying, can you explain that, please? Learning is such a great opportunity not to be missed just because you don't want to look stupid. So I don't care if I look stupid. I don't care if I say, I mean, how many meetings are you in? I'm a 45 year old woman who goes into meetings with a lot of 20 somethings and 30 somethings and they all use all sorts of abbreviations and acronyms. And I'd be like, I don't know what that is. Could you explain it, please? And I don't care if I look stupid. Also, when did we start using those terms without first checking that everyone knew what they meant? That's another thing. Just be polite, guys. Okay, number four, you don't have to finish the book or movie if it sucks. Thank goodness, because I have tried with so many box sets recently and quite a few films, and I have felt bad for giving up. But sometimes it is better to find an alternative than to waste your time sticking with something. Um, And when it's just a book and a movie, the stakes aren't that high. Um, I haven't given up on a book recently. No, I have. I have. I can't say what it is. Maybe I'll tell you later. Anyway, number five, stop regretting past decisions. You made the best choice at the time with the knowledge that you had. Be at peace with it. Yes, 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 and yes. Let yourself off the hook because sometimes you're the only one keeping you on that hook. And I also think if you realize you should have done it another way, then you've learned the lesson so you can move on. Give yourself permission. Number six, Success comes down to a simple choice. One, decide exactly what you want. Two, determine the price you have to pay. Three, choose if you're willing to pay it. Now, 
my reaction to this was to think I wouldn't say success is guaranteed at the end of this sort of trifold decision making process, but I do think it's an excellent sense check before you decide to move forward with anything to ask yourself those three questions, not assuming that success is guaranteed at the end of whatever it is that you're trying to do. Number seven, write down your three, three, three plan. Three hours on your most important project, three shorter tasks and three maintenance activities. Defining a productive date is crucial or else you'll never be at peace. Yeah, the 333 doesn't quite fit in with the way I think or my working life or indeed my schedule. But the point here, I think, is about priorities and balance. I do like to have a list of tasks that I need to get through in a day and I tick them off as I go. And sometimes it's easy to not put things on the list that you think are really small, like do the laundry. But I am a firm believer that everything should go on your list. Making the bed, emptying the bin, cleaning the kitchen, emailing the important work stuff, arranging a meeting with that person, talking through that project with someone else. It doesn't matter what it is. If you are going to do it, if you need to uh, put time and energy into doing that task at some point during your day, put it on your list and start ticking it off. Because when you get to the end of that list, even if you don't complete everything, you'll realize quite how much you've got through. Even if it's, right, I know, for example that uh, I normally try and time my coffee run for about 11am. And it sounds like a daft thing, but it's a really good point in my morning where I've built some momentum, but now I really want to hunker down if I'm working from home. And that 11am run, I put it on my list. And it's like, right, if I do that, I know that that's then going to be the switch to like really power through until after lunch. So that's my thing. The sense of achievement when you tick off a long list is a high I thoroughly enjoy. Number eight, Find your peak state of energy. This is morning for most people and time block two to four hours during that period for your most important task. Show up at the same time, day by day, week by week, and you'll never worry about money again. Well, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Now, I don't know if this equals financial security, but I do think that thinking this way keeps you focused and keeps your goals at the front of your mind, which is never a bad thing. But this one for me... Maybe not something I could be as rigid with, but um, I'd be interested to know what you think. Number nine, avoid checking your phone first thing in the morning. Happiness is abundant by design, scarce by luck. And I wholeheartedly agree with the first part of this. And I am guilty of looking at my phone before anything else, truthfully, before my eyes are even ready for it. When it's the first thing I do in the day, I realize how much of that gorgeous early morning time I lose to staring at my phone. And so actually, again, that's where a list comes in really handy. Just think about, right, what do I have to do before? What would I like to do before 8am? I want to meditate and I want to exercise. Okay, does the phone fit into that? Nope, put the phone down. 10, score your day like a movie with music. Music is a powerful mood enhancer. Almost everything is more enjoyable with music. I absolutely agree with this one. If I feel an afternoon dip in energy, then Enter Sandman Enter Sandman by Metallica is my go-to. I imagine that I'm Lars Ulrich and I imagine that I know how to play the drums. And if I need an album to have on in the background while I work, then at the moment, Taylor Swift Midnights is my current go-to. I've also recently started using a YouTube channel which has 18, not 18, eight hours of rain sounds in the background to help me get to sleep. And actually, I have to say, it's really, really helped. I really, really enjoy it. Um, you can find those playlists on Spotify as well. It's just rain. I also like the ones that have thunder in the distance, like rolling thunder in the distance every now and again. I don't know why. I find them quite snuggly and comforting. I would also say that having a period during the day of silence is also really, really wonderful. Um and it makes up a part of my score. What can I tell you? Number 11, 
I'm already feeling guilty before I read this one. Take an internal shower every morning. Drink a full glass of water right away. 60% of your body is water. Replenish it. This one hit me really hard because the first thing I do every morning is have an espresso. I know that this is great advice. I know that I should do it, but I also love my coffee. (laughs) Number 12, follow Japan's 80% rule. Eat until you're only 80% full. Now, obviously, I'm someone in recovery from a binge eating disorder, so I have a lot of experience of not listening to the fullness of my body, but this is something I pay attention to now. And it is a good rule, I have to say. This is a good one to sort of stick to. Whenever I eat to fullness now, I realise how it doesn't just make me feel bad in the moment, it lingers for a couple of days. My friend Charlotte and I have just recently discovered this really amazing curry house near where I live, and we have been two weeks in a row on a Friday night, and the first time we went, we shared a curry, we shared, and we've shared a few sides. And they were like, are you sure you've got enough? And we were like, yeah, 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 no, we're fine. And then the second time we went, we thought, actually, maybe we should get a curry each. Well, we were both so full. And three days later, I'm still feeling not quite great afterwards because I just I really did eat way too much. And that's something I'm, I'm paying attention to now is like, how does food make me feel afterwards? And I know that an excess of a curry, which I will not limit myself from having, but I know that it can sometimes have a hangover of a few days um, because it's just a lot. It's rich food. It's a lot of food. And that fullness can take a while for my body to really get over. So yeah, follow Japan's 80% rule. 13. Normalize midday naps. You get two days of energy in one. I've got to say, I'm not sure about this one. I find my afternoon meditation, which I usually do at around 3 p.m., I find it really challenging because I'm often really, really sleepy afterwards. In fact, a few times recently, I've fallen asleep during that afternoon meditation. And when I wake up, I am two things, hungry and grumpy. So I have to almost sort of like bound out of the door like a juggernaut to go for a walk otherwise I could fall to sleep or eat everything in the house because that energy dip just yeah I'm not sure about naps I think naps have a time and a place but I'm not sure about a daily midday nap but I'd be interested to know what you think about that one because that one really jarred for me but this isn't going to hit 100%, so what can I say? Number 14, our ancestors used to hunt mammoths. Now we sit at desk for eight hours, then watch TV for another three, on average. Humans are not built for this. Get a standing desk, take walking meetings, and move your body daily. Now this I agree with, and I've been meaning to get a standing desk for about a year, but I have a perfectly good desk, so replacing it seems bonkers and unnecessary. But this actually might be the push I needed. I also used to love doing what I used to call a walk and talk for my meetings. Meet somebody at a coffee house in London and then walk through a park and have a meeting and talk about work rather than go and sit in a restaurant or a cafe or wherever. And I really want to reinstall those into my diary because actually I am somebody like Goldie Horn in the First Wives Club. I have my best ideas when I'm on the move or when I'm exercising. And so I'm going to, having read this list, I'm going to reinstate my walk and talks. So um, that's been really useful. 15. Psychology says that the way you talk about others is the way you talk to yourself, so be kind. And I agree with this one. I also think talking about others full stop, if you don't have anything kind to say, isn't okay. And I fell foul of this recently because I was really angry and upset about something, and I've been kicking myself for it since. But that's why I think I need to go back to point five about regrets. At the time, I was really upset and angry, and I operated differently from how I wish I had. But... It was because of the circumstances, but I wish I hadn't. Number 16, the spotlight effect. So this is bias. We think people are paying far more attention to us than they are. And the harsh truth is your freedom begins the day you realize nobody is thinking about you. 
So I have a slightly different perspective on this. I think people do think about other people a lot and perhaps more than they would like, but I think it rarely has anything to do with the personal people who are being thought about. It has to do with the person who's doing the thinking. Have I tied us all up in knots there? So anyone who grinds my gears does so because of something about them I don't like, probably about myself, and that's the truth. It's not because they're a bad person or it's not because they're bad or wrong. It's because I don't like something about them. But usually, if you really pull at that thread, it's because they represent something about yourself that you're either working on or you don't like and you've tried to change or whatever. And that's the, that's the truth. I really do. That's how I think about it. I think people do think about other people. and But it never has anything to do really with the person who's being thought about. Number 17, stop looping as powerful, ask powerful questions. If you're like me, you rerun things over in your mind. Often these loops do not service. So when you catch yourself in a loop, ask, is this useful? Will I care about this in a year? I do love this, but I also sometimes can't switch off that loop by trying to shove perspective in its view. Like if I'm, if I'm really upset about something, somebody saying, will this matter in a year's time? It's like, well, no, it won't, but it really matters now. And it's not a year from now. We're now, and I'm still annoyed. So I struggle with this one, but equally, I think if I do find myself getting caught up in negative thoughts or getting worked up about something, it's change of environment, change of scenery, have a conversation with somebody and don't mention it because a conversation with a friend and finding out what's going on with them will override a lot of the time what's happening with that and will make you realize actually it's a lot smaller than I thought it was. So I think sometimes the perspective isn't about time, it's about sharing other people's experience and realizing that yours is not important or as important as you thought it was. Number 18, I love this one because this reminds me of a conversation I had with Chris Voss, the FBI negotiator. So hone your body language, use the 73855 rule. People will like, dislike your communication based on 7% words, 38% tonality and face and 55% body language. Stand up straight, pull your shoulders back, make eye contact, smile, give a firm handshake. You will be dangerous. And this is good advice. Do some people watching if you want to catch this in action and then try to be aware of your physicality when you're around people. I'm a real, I'm a real sort of like almost like half curtsy person. If I'm a little bit nervous in a situation, I'll go up to somebody and sort of like minimize my height. And I'm already five foot four, so I'm not the tallest in the group ever. And I'll sort of like bow and sort of, I don't know, hunch my shoulders. And actually, I think there's a lot to be said for just walking up straight back and saying, hello, looking people in the eye. If they like you, they're going to like you. If they're not going to like you, they're not going to like you. But don't minimize yourself in order to make it be that they like you. Just be who you are, but stand up straight. Number 19, a person's favorite sound is their name. I have a theory about their second favorite sound, the names of their loved ones and pets. Whenever you hear one mentioned, write it down or take a note and later ask by name about them. You will stand out. I think this is a really fair observation. I think this is quite a good life hack. And the best example I have ever come across with this was, are you ready for the name drop? Simon Cowell. When I was a very, when I was very, very new on my first glossy magazine, on OK Magazine, I had to have a telephone interview with Simon Cowell. He was at his house in LA and I was at my parents' house in Kent. And I had taken the phone into my bedroom because it was on a wire and it was it was a proper like not it wasn't like one of these hands-free ones. It was a proper like phone with a keypad and a wire and a coily wire as well. It was an old, it was an oldish phone. This is back in the early 2000s. 
And I had used an extension lead to put the phone in my room so that when the phone rang, I could pick it up immediately. My parents were under strict instructions not to pick up the phone because Simon Cowell was talking, was calling. And um, actually, no, I rang him, but then he rang back because he's a class act and he knows that it costs a lot of money to call Los Angeles. So I rang, he then got my number and then rang me back and he used my name constantly and I was so nervous about doing this interview. It was one of my first interviews. And he was a big deal at the time. This was like the height of X Factor and all of that kind of stuff. And I was sitting on my desk cross-legged with my um, notepad in front of me. And by the end of the call, I was reclining. I was twiddling the wire around my finger. I was like, oh, Simon, you're so funny. Because he kept using my name. And then a few weeks later, I'm going to drop another name at Elton John's white tie and tiara party. I said hello to him. And he said, Emma, we had a great chat. And again, I was in love with him from that day and I've never stopped being in love with him. And it was a really good example of somebody who used your name really, really well. So I fully, fully believe that one and think if you, if you aren't using people's names, use people's names. Okay. Number 20, spend more time with people who give you energy, spend less time with people who steal your energy. Even though I know this, and I probably heard this for the first time 15 plus years ago, it's the one that always trips me up because I often forget and I'm reminded how I need to pay attention to this only after I've spent time with real mood hoovers, people who suck you of your energy. And it's a real, it's, it's something that I wish I could um, be better at, but I still fall foul of it. But it's true. You've got to find the people who lift you up and make you feel good when you're with them. And crucially, I think, who when you leave them, you don't worry if they're going to talk crap about you behind your back. And if you spend time with someone and feel crappy, and then also when you leave them, you think they're going to somehow report the time that you spent together negatively to somebody else, then bin them off, please. Come on, let's let's be better about this. And this is advice I'm giving myself more than I'm giving you guys, because I am so bad at it. Number 21, master the gift of goodbye. You don't owe loyalty to a friend, partner, or employer who belittles you. Successful and happy people simply say goodbye. Hmm. I've never really employed a goodbye here. I'm all about the Irish goodbye. Sure, some people call this ghosting, but it, but it is cleaner. And if you're walking away from the wrong people... I have found in my life it's the most efficient way to do it. You don't need to make a song and dance about Babbage or it's you know or announcing your goodbye. It's like people who on social media say, "Oh, I'm unfollowing you." Okay, just go, just go, and that's that's where I've always come at it from. Because um, what do you want if you're saying I'm saying goodbye? You kind of want someone to persuade you to not leave, I would imagine. But if you've made up your mind, then you've made up your mind prove me wrong. We are going to talk about this in the Facebook group. Don't worry. I'm going to put the link in the show notes and let's talk about all of these because I'm sure you have had reactions to these in the same way that I have, but I'm sure we've had different ones. Number 22, once a week, do something alone, dinner, the movies. Society has programmed us to think it's weird to do things alone, but if you're not comfortable being alone, you'll never be comfortable leaving toxic relationships. A person who's happy alone is a powerful person. And yet I'm all in on this one. Although there are certain things I won't do on my own, like I won't go on holiday because part of the magic of going to new places is experiencing them with someone and seeing them through someone else's eyes and being part of that experience. But my preference for cinema, museums, all of that kind of stuff is to go by myself. I'll go with someone else if I've been before or if I plan to go by myself pretty soon after I go with them. But yeah, I think going to the cinema shopping trips alone just wandering to new places love that i like doing it on my own i like doing it with other people too but my preference would be to do some of that stuff on my own 
23, write down your goals. Remind yourself who you want to be. The 14% of people who have goals are 10 times more successful than those without goals. The 3% with written goals are three times more successful than the 14%. Now I got to be honest, percentages and 10 times, I'm not 100% on this one, but I do think there's a lot to be said for goal setting, whether it's written down or not. Because if you know what you want and you keep coming back to it, then you'll be less likely to be pulled off course. And I think that's what it's about. And I think this leans a bit too far into the sort of vision boarding. And I know people for whom it's worked, but I'm not a vision board sort of person because I just spend too much time cutting out pictures or getting pictures off the internet and not really focus. I care more about what it looks like than what my actual goal is. So for me, that doesn't work. But if I know what I want and I keep coming back to it and I keep reminding myself of it, then that is more efficient for me. But there we go. Number 24, avoid telling people your goals. It releases cheap dopamine and tricks your brain into thinking you've already achieved them, which lowers your motivation. Move in silence. Yeah, I got to say, my experience would tell me that that's definitely true. Whenever I've told people my plans, something shifts and I've never really been able to put my finger on what. Do I expect them to become an emotional stakeholder? Does it dilute my enthusiasm or how invested I am? I'm not sure, but every time I'm on the brink of saying something about my plans, I consciously pull myself back. I'd rather tell people about what I've done, not what I plan to do. And that does seem to work for me. Number 25, simplify your finances, cancel unused subscriptions, automate your bills, savings and investments, budget within the 50-30-20 rule, 50% needs, 30% wants, 20% savings. Yep, all extremely sound, no notes on that one. 26, buy things that make you healthier, wealthier, or provide you free time. It's called practical materialism, products that make a material difference in the quality of your life. I can just say this, I'm glad I'm recording this just after my Ninja three-in-one food processor arrived and I plan to make a variety of protein puddings and smoothing in it, smoothies in it because I'm all about maximizing my protein intake at the moment. And my food processor that I previously had, which was very inexpensive, and my Nutribullet, which was over 10 years old, they were struggling they were really struggling with the um, <laughs> with the pressure I was putting on them to make these uh, particular things. So I saw it was reduced on Amazon and I went for it and I bought it. So I'm glad. Yeah, this is uh, practical materialism. Thanks so much, Ninja. 27. Use the 1% rule to curb impulse buys. I am listening. So here it says, if the item is over 1% of your annual gross income, wait three days. If you still want it after three days, get it. You'll often realise you don't actually want or need that thing. I also think this might be true for free people bralettes, cuts of denim and any and all active wear in my case. But yeah, I do think that holding fire, if something seems like it's a good deal, it's probably not a good deal. So don't rush to buy anything. 28. If you purchase one item, then donate, toss or sell another. Minimalism is a dual discipline. Manage both inbound and outbound possessions to enjoy equilibrium. This I definitely think is true. I try to do this as much as possible, not least because it does make you think about new things you're bringing in and whether you really need them and whether you really want to pass on the the thing that you will have to release in order to accommodate it. And just so you know, I have already pre- I have already packed up my Nutribullet and my food processor to give to my brother should he wish to have that. That's going in the boot of my car. That is outbound. The Ninja is inbound. 29. Give your mind an overnight task. This is one I'd never heard before. When you close your eyes, give your mind a job. Ask the question like, 
how might I make an extra £1,000 a month? Don't try to solve it, just release it to your subconscious. Now, I've never heard anything like this before, but I really like it and I'm going to try it because I do think there's a lot to be said for dropping an idea into your brain and letting it percolate, almost forget about it. And then when you revisit it, you'll be surprised a little bit like a seed that you've planted, how it has taken root, how it might have grown, blossomed, bloomed, flowered, all of those things. So I'm, I'm going to give that a try. And 30, our final life hack, normalize being weird. Weirdness is what sets us apart, gets us hired. Be your unapologetically weird self. In fact, being weird may even find you the ultimate happiness, the ultimate happiness. And this comes from Chris Sacker. Now I read this as lean into who you are instead of trying to fit a mold or adapting to what you think others will like, which I think is what so many people do when we're younger and we don't quite know who we are yet, what we stand for. And so we try to stand for what everyone else or we think will please other people. I do believe that normalizing being weird, being yourself, it's always good advice. So thank you for coming on that journey with me. I hope you found that list as thought provoking as I did. I really, I really did read it. And I thought, you know, if you've been listening to the show for a long time, you know, I've got a huge amount of time for Tim Ferriss and I really valued him sharing that. And I just found so much in it. It reminded me of things that I try to do. It reminded me of things that I had tried to do and forgotten about. And it reminded me that actually these are all good things to keep in your mind. It's not self-help and self-improvement in the traditional sense. It's just about keeping you mindful of what you want. And I found them really useful, but I would be so interested to hear how you found them. Are they useful for you? Did you like this? Do you have any thoughts or opinions on any of them? I'll put the list in the Facebook group and it would be so great if you could weigh in, let me know any that really resonated with you, any that you really disagreed with, any that you thought were absolute bunkum any that you would uh, like to never hear again, any that you might print out and stick on the wall in front of you, let me know. The link to join the Facebook group is in the show notes. And that's also where you'll find info about how to contact me. So the beauty podcast at gmail.com. You can DM me on Instagram and Twitter or X where I'm at Emma Guns. And I'm also on threads as Emma Guns and the Facebook group. That's where we're going to have a chat about this. So um, I'm excited for you to hear this episode. I'm excited for you to hear these life hacks. And I'm excited to see what conversations we have about them in the Facebook group. So that's everything for bullet points this week. 30 of them, could you believe? Thank you for listening. Thank you for following, commenting on posts, subscribing, spreading the word about the podcast. I appreciate it hugely. I will see you on the next one. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.